Galatians 3, 23-28. I'm reading from the, the Inclusive Bible, one of my favorite translations here. And the Apostle Paul writes, Before faith came, we were under the constraint of the law, locked in until the faith that was coming would be revealed. In other words, the law was our monitor, our babysitter, you could say, until Christ came to bring about our justification through faith. But now that faith is here, we are no longer in the monitor's charge. Each one of you is a child of God because of your faith in Jesus. All of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. In Christ, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or citizen. There is no male or female. All are one in Christ Jesus. We hear the truth of God in the reading of these sacred words. Thanks be to God. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote a big part of what we call our New Testament or the Christian scriptures. Paul thinks your categories are dumb and childish. Yes, I just said that. This summer, we're spending some time with Paul and his writings. As I prepared for today, I was reminded that the book of Galatians, this book that Jose and I both read out of, it's a really fantastic book. It's probably the first letter of Paul that we have. And it was written to a small church that Paul helped start in what is southern Turkey today. Prior to this, prior to starting churches, Paul was a religious zealot on the way, climbing the ladder, checking all the right boxes, going to all the right dinner parties, working on his comb over, dropping the right names, all of that, just doing all the right things to climb the religious ladder. You'll often hear me say that religious people can be incredibly creepy, and I mean it, and it's because their certainty can be so disconnected from what actual life looks like and what it takes for life to flourish. Paul was that kind of creepy religious person. But then Paul had a mystical spiritual experience with a dead person. <laughs> well, a person he thought was dead. He encountered Jesus and it completely wrecked him. He was like a seed cracked open now to new life. The world made new sense to him. His values and perspectives and everything that gave his life meaning, it changed in a moment. This happens to us sometimes. We enter into this second half of life as Father Richard Rohr often talks about. And sometimes it happens with the birth of a child or the death of a loved one or a near-death experience of our own or a massive betrayal or if we experience just raw, pure, grace, something happens to us and we become like a seed cracked open. And for the rest of his life, Paul really only has one thing to say. Nothing matters but living into a reality where Jesus is alive. That passion 
It led him on a journey throughout the Roman Empire, during which time he created these communities where people could practice or live the same Jesus is alive reality. And one of the places he does this is in southern Turkey at the time, a region called Galatia. And then after he leaves there, he plants the church, he leaves, some other missionaries come along to that new little church, and they tell this group of, of new Christians, you're doing it all wrong, they say. You know, Jesus was a Jew, and if you look around, you'll notice that all good Jews have certain identity markers on the outside that show that we're Jewish and we're good. We color in the lines, they would say. Our diet is distinct. We pray at certain times and in certain ways. We follow specific holy days. And here, here, take a look. We're all circumcised. Whoa. We do this for a couple of reasons, they told the new church. First, these external signs, they demonstrate that we really belong to God, unlike all these pagans and barbarians around us, right? For Jews, it was very important to distinguish Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles, Jews and pagans or barbarians. And, and in a way, it kind, of, it kind of gives us this HOA, keep out the riffraff functionality. Second, we need these external identity markers in order for us to get special treatment from the Romans. You may not be aware of this context for that time. The Romans, they, they were a colonizing empire. They went places, conquered people, and they colonized, they took over. And one of the things they would do is they would require all the people they conquered to worship and pray to their gods, including Caesar. Caesar was a god. And they had to participate in Roman cultural activities. They tried to force that on the Jews as well, and they learned the hard way that the Jews would just rather die. The Jews would rather fight them off with frying pans and shanks and guerrilla warfare and memes and whatever it takes. And so eventually, the Romans got tired of putting down these insurgencies, and they just gave them a special dispensation, special permission, so that rather praying to the Roman gods, they only had to pray for the Roman Empire and the Roman gods as long as they continued to practice their Jewish faith. The Romans are incredibly pragmatic. These, these missionaries said to this new Christian community, they're incredibly pragmatic. However, they're not so good with nuance. They need it to be horsey, ducky, simple. We have a fragile piece here, little Christian community, and you're kind of messing that up because on the one hand, you refuse to keep these external identity markers that show that you're Jewish so you can get that special permission not to worship Rome. And on the other hand, you refuse to pray to the Roman gods and to Caesars. You have to fall into one of these two categories, little church. You have to either look like a Jew or you have to follow the Roman religion. You've got to pick a lane here, guys, at least for the sake of keeping some peace. Don't you like peace? Peace is good. Who wouldn't like some peace? So come on, just do some of our practices and we'll keep the Romans all chilled out and you'll probably make God happy too. Cool. So it's a win-win, right? So let's just, let's just get this circumcision business going here and we'll get you integrated and everything will be cool. So Paul gets word of this. Paul gets word of this, and he is angry. 
He's angry that the very free and unencumbered community that he left behind and he poured his life into, they're now getting bogged down in the weeds of religion with cumbersome virtue signaling practices. Grown men are getting circumcised, and this is before antiseptics and things that <laughs> would help with that. People are following holiness dietary codes. People are keeping the Sabbath again. And this letter that we're looking at today, this letter to the church in Galatia is his response. He, he spilled a lot of ink to write this letter. Now, if he would have had a Twitter account back then, he could have, he could have saved all that spilled ink. And instead he would have simply distilled the whole thing down to one tweet. And it would have been one of those tweets where you type in all caps and you put a clap emoji in between every word for emphasis. You know what I'm saying? And he would have just simply composed this one tweet and he would have just said, you are already in God's family. You don't have to do these things to be accepted by God. Well, somebody put that in the Facebook comments for me. That'd be awesome to see. And he could have added a tweet. He could have made it a two-part thread. So one of two, two of two. And he would have said on number two, you are on a one-way freedom journey. You have moved from slavery to freedom, to more freedom, to more freedom. And he would have included a picture of one of those signs by the one directional tire spikes that say, don't back up. Severe time, severe tire damage will occur. No going backwards. There is only going forward into more and more and more freedom in God. In fact, he literally says in verse 23rd, and I think this is really cool. He says that the law was given to humanity as its babysitter. We were given a babysitter until Jesus came along. And now that we are in Jesus, we don't need a babysitter anymore. But you fools, he says to them, you're all grown up now and you're still asking for a babysitter. You're still asking to do all these these external identity markers that show that that you're virtuous. You don't need those babysitters anymore. You are grown up in Jesus. And as I say all this, I don't mean to be anti-Semitic or disparaging of the Jewish tradition. So many people have read Paul that way throughout the years, especially because of Augustine, one of the church fathers, and because of Martin Luther and all of his mental health needs and his anxieties. We've interpreted Paul through those, and the field of Pauline theology has had to have a reckoning with this since World War II, when the whole field had to acknowledge that an anti-Semitic reading of Paul was actually used to undergird the Holocaust. Paul is not saying that Jewish traditions are bad, but he's telling these Christians that something like a new exodus has taken place. He's using that exodus imagery without naming it specifically. He's saying we slaves have escaped Egypt. We have escaped bondage and we're free and we're headed toward more freedom in God every day. And you want to go back to slavery in Egypt, right? There's this pattern you see throughout the scriptures beginning with the actual exodus story of they get out they encounter freedom and then they say we want to go back paul says to them you say you want rules and check boxes to keep god and people happy and i say to you check boxes are 
for children. You're not children. You say you want these external practices and signs and symbols to show the world that you are legit Christians. And I say anyone can do external practices and signs and symbols, but have you tried loving your neighbor as yourself? You say you want to color inside the lines and the categories to be safe. And I say, what in the world seems safe about following Jesus? He was pure goodness and still the religious and civic leaders murdered him. He was dead, but I encountered him alive. I had this mystical experience that broke me open and was an exodus experience for me where I left slavery into freedom. All of our old ways of making sense of the world are destroyed. All of our models are wrecked. The old categories, he says in verse 28, and this is one of my favorite verses in all of our scriptures, the old categories of Jew and Greek, they mean nothing. The old categories of slave and free, they mean nothing. The old categories of male and female, they mean nothing. These words by Paul, as I said, have long been some of my favorite in the whole scriptures. For me, they're right up there with John 3.16 and Psalm 23 and Philippians 4.13. I mean, they're right up there, some of the most important. And even after years of me pondering them and, and now weeks kind of focusing on them, thinking about how do I speak about them today, I still find myself amazed at how radical they are because if you think about it, there are probably very few settings in your life, your life, my life, where these words have actually been taken seriously. Instead, we still mindlessly operate using superficial labels and categories about religions and political parties and gender roles and who's saved or not saved and what behaviors are allowable or disallowable within each of those categories. We don't ask what leads to flourishing life. We don't ask what is most loving. We ask, what does this beautiful dear label require of me? Paul's words here are like an entire ecclesiology wrapped up in one little verse. An ecclesiology, a fancy word for how a church should be run. And it's right here in this verse, right here, an entire rule for life together. And he essentially says, your categories are dumb. Stop it. You're not children. The only rule we have is love. In fact, that's what Jose read for us earlier. Galatians 5, 6. This is one to print off and stick on your refrigerator or, or write on your chalkboard at home or use a dry erase marker and write on your bathroom mirror where he said the only thing that matters is faith working through love right there it's beautiful right now the hard part the hard part right that's I, I just gave you a history lesson i hope you enjoyed that gave you some context yay but we can't stop there the hard part is application how do we apply this to our lives what does that look like i think we have to begin with the main point that paul is making here you are already in god's family Welcome. If you're here and you want to join Jesus coloring outside the lines and you want to practice this radical agape love, come on. 
welcome, you're in. Another point that Paul is making in his letter is that you're radically free. You are radically free. And they were so free that some of them found it to be an unbearable responsibility. Some of them found their freedom burdensome. Some of them found their freedom intimidating. I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know what to do with my freedom. The burden of freedom and irresponsibility is something that we all have to accept as we grow up. That's what it means to mature and to grow up. And I suspect you know some adults in your life who have never learned the burden or how to take responsibility for their own freedom. And they spend their life denying their freedom and blaming everyone else for their choices and, and acting like they could not have chosen otherwise. Paul takes away our coloring books and says, go make real art. You are free. Go practice love. Go make real art. Paul's also saying, and I've said it multiple times here today, our categories are dumb. And today, if we translate that to today, we might say, in Christ, there is no citizen or immigrant. In Christ, there is no gay or straight. In Christ, there is no Republican or Democrat. You are all one in Christ. But we can't see that as long as we continue to see labels instead of a person. And here's where I, I'm being honest with you. I truly wrestled with this text as I was preparing to speak, and I hope you do too. We spend a lot of time around here in the peace community talking about identities, talking about how people self-identify. And why do we do that if Paul says these labels don't matter? Seems inconsistent, doesn't it? Shouldn't we just say, when it comes to skin color, well, I'm colorblind because Paul said labels and categories don't matter. I don't think so. I don't think that's the way forward here. And here's why. We are in the midst of a centuries in the making decolonization movement. I don't know if you can feel the ground shifting below us. We are in the midst of access to power based on identity, gender, sexuality, citizenship, institutions, all of that's all being dismantled in our midst right now. It's electric in the air. We are in the midst of globally subjected economies like those in Central America. They are decoupling from their former colonizers and imperial powers in new ways that were unthinkable 20 years ago. That's going on right now. It's amazing to watch and I hope you're taking note. All of these decolonization efforts are going on all around us. And for us to keep moving forward toward freedom and autonomy for all, we have to bring to consciousness and awareness how we have dehumanized one another based on labels and identities and categories. It has to be brought to light. We have to do the work to bring it to light because things don't change and we can't choose differently until we have some awareness that that is the water we swim in. That is our society. So sure, we talk about how the category of whiteness and the moral value associated with that category has shaped and continues to shape our society. We talk about how the categories of religion 
whether one identifies as a Jew or Muslim or Christian or pagan or atheist and how these labels continue to shape our society and shape access to power or to the in-group or makes you an outsider. We talk about them all because they continue to be used against people. Here's another step. For example, the median wealth, the median wealth for a black household is $24,000. However, the median wealth for a white household is $189,000. Categories continue to matter in our society. Black Americans are 13% of our society, and yet they don't own 13% of the wealth. They have 2.6% of the wealth. Is any of this going to change unless we talk about it? Things don't change as long as we act like they don't exist. If we want to move toward the radical Christian vision of decategorization and rehumanization and decolonization, we have to talk about the dumb and childish categories that we put people in. Because Paul's right, ultimately they don't matter. We've got to talk about them until they no longer matter. About a month ago, uh, I met with uh, one of the leaders from the largest network for nonprofit disaster relief in Central Texas. And they were asking our church, would we join their whole network of churches and partner with them in their disaster relief work? I mean, they gave me the whole spiel. They do incredible work. They really do. If your house floods or if it's destroyed by a tornado, they will rally volunteers from churches all over Central Texas and they'll get money and they'll come muck out your house. They'll find you replacement furniture. They'll do whatever they can do to take care of you. They're such a big deal. They are legit a big deal that they have a seat at the State Emergency Operations Center alongside the Department of Public Safety and the Department of Transportation and FEMA and all the big players. And then boom, they've got a seat right there in the middle of all of them. And the state looks to them to say, how are you going to be part of the disaster response right here? And at the end of the presentation, I spent about an hour with this leader who's actually an old friend of mine, known this guy for well over 10 years. And he said to me, we would love it if your, if your church would join in our network and be a part of what we do. We just need you to sign our statement of faith. So just go ahead and print that thing off the internet, sign it, take a picture, text it back to me, and you're in, baby. Here we go. And then the call ended. He said, think about it, Matthew, think about it. We'll talk later. And so I pull up their statement of faith and I'm reading over it. And it was pretty much boilerplate dominant culture beliefs about the Bible and Jesus and heaven and hell. And then at the bottom, the last statement, there was a thinly veiled anti-LGBTQ statement, very thinly veiled, clearly anti-LGBTQ. And I wrote the organization leadership. I found all the email addresses I could for the whole leadership team, as many as I could find. And I told them how impressed I was with the work of their network. They're doing great stuff. But I told them I was deeply troubled at how they chose to single out this one category of people 
for their purity ethics, for their very selective purity ethics. Like they could have chose so many other things. Why not? Why not say something about those who cause massive environmental pollution and climate change, which could be contributing to these weather events that they respond to? Why not say something about the military or prison industrial complexes, which we know are machines that are just grinding up the lives of generations of people? Why not say something about gluttony, which probably kills more people than all the natural disasters in our society? Why not say something about corporate greed, which has offshored our entire manufacturing base over the past four decades and it's hollowed out our middle class and none of those profits have trickled down to most of the people they've been captured at the top see there i told them there are any number of actual problems that you could you could take a stand against but instead you would rather play with silly religious purity categories and i can't sign your statement of faith we can't join your network because of that because we are too busy trying to follow Jesus and Paul's words here. And I ask your organization to reconsider in light of the scriptures. That was a month ago. I haven't received a reply from them, even though, like I said, this guy I met with for an hour was a friend of mine. Paul has given us such a radical vision for Christian community he has it's so radical that a lot of the world continues to reject it and to be honest it takes a lot of faith to live into this two thousand years later and we are still struggling to implement it it sure would be easier to check a bunch of boxes color inside the lines do some pious acts to demonstrate my faith and instead we are told to dismantle dehumanizing categories and stop acting like children. Male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, whether you wear a suit or an apron to work, whatever your zip code is, your accomplishments, your documentation status, your categories of left, right, liberal, conservative. The only thing that matters, Paul says, is faith expressing itself through love. I wish I wish we would believe these words so much that we practice them and that we built them into the structures of our society. We need help. God, we need your help. Do you hear us? We need your help to make this a reality in our own little community of peace. I acknowledge that. And certainly in our world. May God help us by God's spirit and grace. Amen.